0: Second Peter chapter one. I want to read the first eleven verses of Second Peter chapter one. I'll give you just a second to find the scripture. It's towards the end of the New Testament, and for those looking for it, in your scriptures. Second Peter chapter one, beginning at verse one. It says Simon Peter whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of excuse me by be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure for if you do these things you shall never fall for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ and we'll stop there verses 1 through 11 of second peter chapter 1 and I have preached, I know, at different times in the past from some of those latter verses and what we've read today, verses 5 down through 10 in particular. I've heard good messages on those all my life, it seems like. But before we get to those things, what we see is that Peter is writing, and he's writing here unto those that have shared in this faith, those that have this same like precious faith as Peter has known in Christ Jesus. Peter is writing to brothers and sisters just like me and you. And as he's writing to them, he begins to discuss about the divine power that has given unto us all the things that pertain unto life and godliness. I want to speak to you today, if God would help for a short while, on the subject of God's power. Now, as I was thinking about these things, and I was considering about how it is that we would strive to try to preach about the power of God, what I realized is that if I was to try to do that in a way to appeal to your logic, in essence what I would be trying to do is is just preach to you about the essence of Scripture and the nature of creation. Why? Because if God is all-powerful, which He is, then we would merely look to the creation and say that the creation is proof that God is powerful. If I was to try to appeal to your logic or to try to convince your intellect or convince your mind that God is all-powerful, I would say, look around you. Look at what has been created and reason that there must be a Creator. But you see, we've seen that go astray in our world. We've seen how this theory of evolution has just compounded. And this theory nowadays is accepted as fact, though as far as I know, it's still just a theory. It can't be proven. It's not proven. Meanwhile, we have observable history, observable scientific history that tells us of a creation. And seeing that we have this then, we have a revelation of the power of God all around us. So there is no need then to try to appeal to your logic, but instead it would be that we would declare that God is all-powerful. I make to you today this declaration that all power is the Lord's. God is all-powerful. And so rather than speaking to you today on a subject as though I would try to persuade your mind considering the power of God, I instead declare unto you the power of God. And you say, Derek, how in the world can you declare such a thing? Well, I want you to know that I am not powerful. I am not all powerful. In fact, I'm probably not at all powerful. But I want you to know today this charge that I give to you, this declaration that I give to you, I give to you on the authority of scripture as God has revealed his power himself. And you say, Derek, how has God revealed his power? We see time and time and time again that God has demonstrated his power. He has not been slack concerning the revelation of power. Lots of times we, we look and we consider the things of God and we know that His thoughts are higher than His, our thoughts and His ways are, are greater than our ways. And we say, we can't know the mind of God. And that is true. But my friends today, what we can know is the power of God. God has not been shy throughout history concerning the revelation of His power. But time and time again, we see the power of God revealed. We've seen it revealed in judgment in Scripture. We've seen it demonstrated in deliverance. He has revealed His power in overcoming and conquering. We've seen Him demonstrate His power in healing. He has demonstrated His power in miracles. He has demonstrated His power in preaching and in redemption. He's demonstrated His power in salvation. Time and time again. I can keep going. He has demonstrated His power over and over again throughout history. All power is God's. You see, this is not a subject to try to reason about. God has merely declared it and He has demonstrated it and He keeps demonstrating it. God's power is not something that He has considered as though He should keep it private. But instead, He has revealed it publicly that God is a God who is all-powerful. You say, well, Derek, how has He revealed these things? He revealed His power in judgment when He destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. He has revealed His power of deliverance in delivering the children of Israel out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. I want you to think about that reality for a moment. There was nothing about the people of Israel that they should escape the hands of the Egyptians. But God's power intervened on their behalf and they were delivered. You say, well, what do you mean that God's power intervened on their behalf? How do you think the Red Sea was divided in half except for the power of God? Scientists today have gone back and they try to study and they say, well, you know, there was recorded in history an earthquake about that time. That's probably how the, the waters were divided. Well, I would reckon there was an earthquake. <laughs> Don't you? God's put that sea wide open. I would assume it rattled the earth when it happened. But God did it. <laughs> the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. If He chose an earthquake to part the waters, that's His business. It was His power on display regardless. He has demonstrated His power over and over again. Do you know one time He demonstrated His power in a little bitty rock? Yeah, there was this Philistine giant who was defying the armies of the living God. And this little ruddy country boy was coming out to give some word and check on his brothers. And he comes out there and he hears this giant defying the armies of the living God. And God welled up in this little boy a, a courage and a bravery and a, and a knowledge about how to go up against this giant. And he went out to a brook and he picked up five smooth stones and he put them in his little bag there and he took his sling and he ran down into the valley to meet that giant that that giant's laughing at him, calling on the dog and all these sorts of things. And David reared back with that sling. And the power of God got a hold of that rock and he smote the giant. God's power is sufficient to overcome. It is sufficient to defeat. And it is sufficient to conquer. God is powerful. God made a laughing stock one time. I think I might have talked about it a little bit last week. There was a contest at Mount Carmel one time and the prophets of Baal, some 400 plus of them, had came up against Elijah and they were praying all day that the the gods of Baal would come down and they would bring fire and consume the altar. And Elijah's kind of laughing at him as they're doing this. And all day long they tried to do this and no fire ever comes. Elijah prepares the altar. He gets it all arranged. He takes water and he pours over it. He digs a trench around it. pours enough water over it. pours water over it again and again. And water fills the moat around the altar. And he prays. And he prays and he says, God, send down the fire. You know what happened? Fire came. And it wasn't just a little bit of fire. It didn't just consume the altar. It didn't just consume the offering. But it licked up every ounce of water that was around that thing too. What we see is that God's power, when it is displayed, it leaves no doubt about who did it. Aren't you glad it's that way? You don't have to wonder about what happened. But instead you walk away and you say that was the power of God. It's on display. Again and again. I want to show you today, though, and declare to you in particular how God's power was revealed through His Son. Not too long after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was going into a a city and and there was a paralytic man there in that city. And and this paralytic man was brought to Him. And He saw the faith of those that brought this man into Him. and, And He looked at the man... And no doubt these men that had brought and had carried this, this paralyzed man to Jesus, they were expecting that Jesus was going to heal his paralyzed condition. But Jesus looked at this man and seeing that he had been carried and saw their faith and, and carrying this paralytic man to them. And He looked at this man and He said, Be of good cheer. He said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. And He calls an uproar. People looked at this and they were just beside themselves. They were upset about it because He would say, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. They saw this as blasphemous. They saw this as one that was speaking those things that only God could speak. They failed to realize that Jesus was God. That God Himself was speaking these things. And so they were beside themselves hearing their thoughts thinking that one would say to somebody else, Be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, Jesus had... The same power as the Father. And he knew what was going on in those people's minds. And he asked, he told them, he said, what would be easier, to say thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say arise and walk? He got to the heart of the matter. These people came expecting that Jesus was going to heal this man's paralytic state, and instead, Jesus healed his heart. They didn't understand that. And so Jesus says to them, Which would be easier, to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk? Then He said this, and He looked and He said, That thou may know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. And He turned to the paralytic man and He said, Arise, take up thy bed, and go home. you know what the man did? He arose and he went home. (laughs) What else do you think he did? (laughs) But can't you just picture that? All these people there that saw Jesus tell this man that his sins were forgiven and they were were, were troubled within themselves that one would make such a declaration. And now Jesus, knowing their thoughts, demonstrated His power to heal that they might know that Jesus simply didn't have the power to heal, but that He had the power also to forgive the sins. And He said, Arise, stand up and go home, and the man did. I don't know what you picture in your mind, but I picture a bunch of people just standing around with their jaws to the floor. <laughs> don't you? Jesus said this. He said that all they had left to do was to glorify God, that such power be given unto man. All that healing, all those miracles were performed that men might not merely know of God's power to heal, or of God's power to, to, to work miracles, but they might know of God's power to save. We look today and you say, well, you know, if, if I was alive during Jesus' day and I saw all those miracles being performed, well, well, I would believe too. Those miracles were performed that they might know that Jesus had the power to save. That same power that Jesus displayed to that paralytic man. He still has today. And He still displays it time and time again when a sinner comes to be saved. We're going to talk more about that in a second. We all know how after the resurrection and just before the ascension that, that God gave the, or that, excuse me, Jesus gave the great commission to the church. You know that well in Matthew chapter 28 where he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you and lo, I am with you all way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. But I want you to know that that commission, that charge, that was not given as one would give a, a recommendation to someone or, or some passing word of advice that you ought to do this. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Terry and Becky were, were going down to, to Alabama and, and I sent them, I caught wind that they were going down there and I said, hey, there's some restaurants that you got to check out. They were recommendations, pieces of advice. It wasn't a commission. When Jesus said to go ye unto all the world, He wasn't giving us a recommendation. He wasn't giving us advice of some things that hey, maybe you should consider this. He was giving us a commission, a charge, to go ye therefore unto all the world, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever. I have commanded you, And how do we know that this was a commission? How are we certain that we have this charge to us that we would observe even now some 2,000 years later? Because prior to giving that charge, Jesus said this. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus had the authority to issue this charge to us. Jesus had the authority to issue this commission to us. We go, therefore, into all the world. We baptize and we teach underneath the authority and power of Christ. When we have a baptizing, what do we say when we get ready to baptize someone? But that this power, this authority to baptize is given to us by the authority of the church through the commission of the Lord. (laughs) We've got this from on high. These aren't things we practice by by some great idea or some some cunning craftiness or scheme of man. But these are things that we, we do. These are things that we honor because they've been given to us on the authority and power of the Lord. Listen to this. Paul told the Corinthians. I mentioned earlier that there is power in preaching. Paul told the Corinthians this. He said that I didn't come to you by the excellence of my ability to speak. This is me trying to paraphrase a little bit here. So, so take, take this here. Go back and study it on your own. Just make sure I told you right. But he said, I didn't come to you by the excellence of my ability to speak or, or my wisdom. He said, instead I came to you determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul was there before the Corinthians and he said, in weakness and in fear and in trembling. We revere the Apostle Paul. We we see the greatness of his ministry and of his work on behalf of the Lord and how his, his words have, have been inspired by God that we would still read today. But I want you to know that when Paul stood before man, when he stood before the Corinthians, he stood before them, not that he might be revered for his excellency of, excellency of speech or of, of his wisdom or of his thoughts, but instead he came in weakness and in fear and in trembling. Why? That his preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul came not to preach that man would be impressed by his ability to organize thoughts, by his ability to use certain vocabulary or certain language. His purpose was that men might see in him God. And so it should be today as we would try to preach, as these other preachers in this room today, as they would try to preach. We try to preach not that you would hear the words of man, but that you would hear the words of God. They say, Derek, how can you say such a thing? You mean to, that I should reason today that I would sit here even now, that I would hear from God? That's exactly what I mean. And I don't say that because I think I'm anything. I say that because I think I'm nothing, but I think He's everything. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing about me that would be, be worthy of anybody looking upon as you would sit today and look in this direction, but instead that you would hear the things that God has to speak to you through the power and demonstration of His Spirit. My prayer each time I pray as I prepare to preach is that God would anoint the words that I speak with His Spirit and that they would find themselves into your heart where He might move upon you with His Word. Not that you would hear my words with your ear. Now listen, you'll walk away sorely displeased if you've only come to hear with your ear what I have to say. But if you've come to hear with the heart that desires to hear from God, you will walk away fulfilled. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. He so said, I've not come <clears throat> to preach with enticing words, but instead in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. <clears throat> now, I want you to know something. Paul did not say these things that he would be praised For his humility. Sometimes we have a problem about bragging about how weak we are. That doesn't make any sense, does it? You know, I'm just so weak. (laughs) Why are you bragging about it then? (laughs) I mean that a little tongue in cheek. But Paul wasn't trying to call any attention to himself, his purpose wasn't to display his humility. And he wasn't trying to make a show of how spiritual he was. But instead, his purpose in preaching through the power and demonstration of the Spirit was that the faith of the Corinthian people would not stand in the wisdom of men, but that the faith of the Corinthian people would stand in the power of God. Paul's desire was that he would know nothing among them except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That all he would be seen as is weak and insignificant. That there would be nothing among him to be looked at or revered. That they wouldn't say, look how godly of a man this is or how pious of a man this is. But instead, that all that they would see is through him the working of the Spirit of God that as he would preach and proclaim the Gospel that their faith would not stand in Paul but that it would stand Stand in the power of the Spirit of God. And so should it ever be in God's church that all that we would strive for in preaching and proclaiming the Gospel is that those that are lost in their sins would not be enticed by some ability of man to string together a thought that would be inspiring to them, but instead that the power of the working of the Spirit of God upon their heart would draw them unto Christ. That's what we labor for. That's what we strive for. Listen to me. If there was any other reason in preaching, I'd just quit. I'm not very good at it. Oh, but I don't strive to be labeled anything. I strive to tell others about Jesus. there are millions of people gathered today in places where they have gathered to be moved by the craftiness and motivation of some well-researched and some well-prepared and some well-rehearsed speech. (laughs) But give me the man of God who's preaching without refinement, with a poor vocabulary, with grammar that doesn't make any sense, but one who is in humility submitting himself to God. That God would take over that man and that we would see the effective power of God working on the man who has submitted himself to the Lord. A man who would preach out of the fullness of his heart, not out of the wisdom of his mind. Oh, God, may You set on fire Your preachers. (laughs) Oh, Lord, in Your humility, in Your ability to provide humility, in Your ability, Lord, to make humble the hearts of prideful men, Lord, may You set on fire a generation that would proclaim Your truths to a dying world. The greatest demonstration of the power of God that I have ever witnessed took place in the back passenger side seat of a Buick Skylark on a country road between Whiteland and Waverly, Indiana. No one else knew in that moment the power of God that had been on display in that back passenger side seat except for me. But I want you to know today that great display of the power of God that took place there in the middle of nowhere where no one has ever seen or heard of any good thing happening except for me. What took place there is going to echo throughout all of eternity. You see why this doctrine is so critical? I've heard from you about how the great display of the power of God has taken place in your life underneath some water fountain somewhere or on some good old-fashioned mourner's bench somewhere or on your bedside or or in different places wherever it may have been where you prayed through but God's power was on display there. And His power was on display in a way that maybe it didn't make the evening news, but the angels rejoiced when that power was demonstrated there. Isn't that incredible? They rejoiced. There was praising and shouting in heaven the day you got saved. Oh, you may say, I'm just so weak and so lowly in the world. You may be to the world, weak and lowly. But I want you to know God has worked in you if you've been saved by His grace. A power that will be recognized from henceforth until forever. Praise God for the power that He has to save. Now, lest you think, and I'm about done, but lest you think that I'm speaking about some some light power, I want you to know about the power to save that the prophet Isaiah recorded about God's power and salvation. He said that God is mighty to save. That he is powerful to save. And you might say, well, well yeah, of course he is. I, I know that. But lest you think this is some small work, I want you to think about what took place on the day that Christ was crucified and about how God's power was on display as His Son made that sacrifice for you and for me. Jesus there, as He was hanging on the cross, He cried out and He said it was finished. And when He said it was finished, I want you to know that He conquered sin. Do you hear me? He conquered sin in that moment. What is the wages of sin? The wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned, yet he died this awful death on the cross that he might conquer and defeat sin. And when he did, what we see is that there was not a display of defeat as you would typically see that this man has died. He must have been defeated. He was not. My friend, instead, when Jesus said it is finished and he gave up the ghost, there on the cross, power was displayed of God. The earth shook. The graves were opened. Dead men were walking around. The veil of the temple was rent clear, torn in half. Jesus had conquered sin. There was a display of power that has won our victory. And then on the third day, That rock, those Roman guards thought they had done so well to move in front of that tomb to seal it, that Jesus would stay in there. Behold, that stone was rolled away. And Jesus wasn't there. The grave was empty. Listen to me today. Not only has Jesus defeated the sting of sin and dying, not only has Jesus defeated sin, but He has conquered the punishment for it as well. He has defeated it. There is power that Jesus has performed on our behalf that we might be saved. It is fitting then that if Jesus has defeated sin and dying on the cross, and if He has defeated the penalty of sin, which is hell, and having been born or raised from the dead on the third day, then listen to me, my friends. We know that there is power in salvation. You say. And Eric, how can you be so sure? You see, I wasn't there. But I've heard from others that were. They left an account. There were eyewitnesses to the events that had transpired. Hundreds of them. And they've all agreed that Jesus Christ was no longer in the grave. But they saw Him for some 40 days after He was resurrected. They even ate with Him. They saw the proof of life that Jesus had conquered the grave. They saw proof of the power of God that has won our salvation. Now, when we would see this then, I would pray that what we would realize is that this is not some small salvation. Listen to me. If you recognize your salvation as anything less than the greatest gift that you've ever received, as anything less than the greatest experience that you've ever had, listen to me. You need to make your calling election sure, as Peter said. Because salvation is no not some small thing. Today, popular religion has has tried to water it down as though you might just have some small salvation obtained by the means of man, that you might accept Christ on your own volition, or that you might repeat the words that have been cleverly crafted of a man in which you declare Jesus to be Lord of your life, and that you would take that as salvation. Listen to me, my friend. I ask you, on what authority do you have to appoint Jesus as Lord? What authority do you have to appoint Jesus as Lord? I don't know about you. I've never been to the United Kingdom. But what I know is that I can't show up there tomorrow and go up to some guy on the street and say, I make you a knight. look at me like I lost my mind. He's no more a knight than I am. I have no authority to make some person in London A knight. Not exactly sure how they, who has that authority, but somebody over there does. It ain't me. I don't have the authority to appoint Jesus as Lord. He has that authority of Himself. And so if you're going to be saved, it's not going to be because you appoint Him to some position, but instead that you come in meekness and in humility and you cry out to Him and He accepts you. You see the difference? You see the difference? What's so tremendous about that is what Jesus desires is that you would come just as you are. He's not expect- expecting some big display from you or, or as though you would somehow have some big work that you would perform at which He would accept. He has merely said, come unto Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. He said, come to Me. Search after Me and you will find Me. Everyone that is, comes to the Father is drawn by Me. Come! Come! Jesus says, the invitation is clear. He simply says, come. We have none other hope than the hope of Jesus Christ. I told you I was going to close. I want to close with this. There is one last display of power that we haven't seen yet. Scripture tells us That Jesus is coming back with power and great glory. And there is coming a day when, in great power, God is going to vanquish all of his enemies. This world is going to melt away with a fervent heat, and all that remains is that over which sin has no power. Scripture calls this the great and terrible day of the Lord as Jesus will have final revenge against those who have previously raged against him and his people will know eternal joy and rest forever I want to tell you about something I've not shared this with anybody yet a couple months ago I was asleep and the only thing I've ever talked about a dream from the pulpit before but I was asleep and I was Must have been deep in the world of REM sleep, I guess, and I had a dream. I was in somebody's backyard, and I don't know whose backyard it was. I don't didn't recognize it, but we were all out there. and It was nighttime, and we were around some campfire and just enjoying time together as people would. All of a sudden, somebody said, "Look at the moon." And the moon had turned a shade of red. And all of a sudden, there was a great shout. And I knew what it was. And I was happy and I was joyous. And then I woke up. And I was a little bit disappointed. So I wanted to see what happened next. Someday I'm going to. (laughs) Oh, and for me, on that day when suddenly there is a shout and a trumpet and we see Christ returning on a cloud, listen to me, my friend, all at once in that moment, there is going to be glory for me. I'm going to be caught up in the air. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Oh, can you imagine what it will be like on that day when I see Jesus face to face? Oh, my! Oh, but for you, lost sinner, on that day of judgment, on that great and terrible day of the Lord, Scripture is clear that those that have not made it right with Christ before He returns in His triumph, that they will be crying out to the rocks to fall upon them and to cover them and to shield them from the judgment to come. Listen to me today, lost sinner. Lost sinner. God is powerful. He is all-powerful. And I want you to know there have been great and wonderful moments recorded throughout Scripture where that power has been displayed and, and we've seen His people triumph. We've seen souls saved. We've seen the miracles that have been performed underneath the powerful hand of an Almighty God. But I want you to know today that that same God that is powerful, He has power in judgment And His judgment is sure and it is final. And in my friend, today, if you are lost, if you don't find things made right with God, before you leave this earth, I want you to know that that same Jesus that I'm talking about, He holds also the power to look at you and say, depart from Me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. (laughs) All power is His. And in that moment, you would have nothing else to say. Oh, but to depart. (laughs) Oh, God, be merciful today. Peter reasoned all this and he got to the end of the passage that I read. And he said, make your calling and your election sure. I want you to know today that there is no pride Worth not breaking. You might say, well, Derek, I professed a long time ago that I've been saved, I've been baptized, I've been on the church roll for a long time. But if you look and you examine your life and you see that you are just so mired down with sin and you say that there's no change that is evidence in your life, listen to me. Make your calling and your election sure. The power of God knows the difference as to whether or not you have truly been converted or not. You can lie to me. You can deceive me. You can convince me that you've been saved. You can lie to these others around you and deceive them and convince them, but God knows. Make your calling and election sure. And it will be a fearful thing if you don't, my friend, on that great day of the Lord when you fall underneath the all-powerful judgment of God. God is all powerful. Let's get a song today. Oh, sinner friend, please, please don't put off salvation. Please don't be so full of pride that you want to come seek the Lord. You are faced and battling against it. Just give it over to the Lord. Come just as you are, as we stand and as we sing.